This season of Living Land pays special emphasis on the next generation and their role in agriculture, rural development and food security. Now Living Land is aimed at bringing the youth back into agriculture and you can join Kamohelo Bombay on the new season of Living Land every Saturday at 13.30 on SABC2. Brought to you by SABC Education, enriching minds, enriching lives. Eight minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. It's our wrap of the top business stories and helping me to take a look at the latest in the world of money and power. I'm joined on the line by Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Makwe Fund Managers. Except Makwe, who's it? Ah, sweet no smogo, Marco. Sweet no smogo. I want us to start off, um, I guess, where we kick things off, Namakesha. It seems the people who give us Obikwa, who give us Scottish leader, who give us Imbalambala and crackling and all manner of other things uh, in Siavana, South Africa. It seems uh, they are a takeover target here for the Heineken group. Now, I don't know if, I guess, Heineken probably has a very strong stable of beers, um, you know. Uh, under a brewing arrangement here in South Africa, but uh, certainly haven't gone into the wine and cider space. Definitely they don't, you know, and we need to note that, you know, Yenneken is the number one global cider maker in mm. Trongpo. And so, I want to call it distilled, it has to be Africa and South Africa's number one uh, cider producer of Masavan and Hunter's Dry. Mm. But as you are saying, that will give Yenneken a nice exposure to spirits which they don't have. And also, bearing in mind, Gutierrez, they just came out a crisis in the sense that the beer market has been struggling during COVID, though they managed to have good sales from above Vietnam and Mexico. Mm. But when you look at their key markets, the likes of Brazil and UK, they continue to struggle. But on the other hand, for the past nine months, the guys, as much as they've lost IA, almost 36% of their trading days, you know, almost 172 days, the guys managed to increase volumes and sales. That tells you good the sales strategy is working. Whether during lockdowns they were moving stuff to distribution houses mm. or storages, but it worked for them. And also when you look at their, uh, what do you call it, uh, the ready-to-drink kind of things, and their side of managed to increase the market share, and mm. also in Africa. But yes, when it comes to some travel stuff like that, because we know you guys were no longer flying, that, that didn't make good money. Sure. All I'm trying to indicate is that here is a business to sell, which happens to be owned by Remgro mm. through the likes of Johan Rupert, who have a business model which has managed to be resilient even during the lockdown, so when it comes to the inspection, so when it comes to the alcohol ban. Mm. So it's not surprising that the likes of Yenneken will definitely look at Pistel and to try to tap into that market. The question here is, if it's true that the talks will maybe end up having the deal be made, will the competition authorities, especially back home here, approve it? Because mm, as we are saying, that's a big question, yeah. as it is, it's a top player, it's a number one cider maker, so now you bring here again, will that be allowed? Probably it might be with some conditions, because remember, these deal makers don't come up with something without doing their homework. But Mark, well, weren't these the same guys who were saying because of our lockdown and our liquor ban that uh, they had 
cancelled their, I think it was around 5 billion rand or so investment out in Sedibeng uh, to expand some of their brewing facilities there. And then they also retrenched almost 8,000 workers. You know, yes, these are the very same guys. And remember, we said it's not right for them to deal with government that way, mm. to threaten government. And but mean, if we remember, we said these things are not cancelled. These things have been defaced. So, so what, what does that mean in, in simple English? They're not going to implement those plans today. They will implement them later in the year or in the next coming year or so when they're certain that they're not going to have more lockdowns going forward, when they're certain that the global economy is recovered. You don't just cancel an investment like that. Because remember, I, you make an investment because you expect a certain return. Mm. You cannot just be to with a big balance sheet without using it. Shareholders will be on our case. You need to employ that money so that we have a decent return on equity. So we have to be careful when you invest. It's not just on Friday that you're doing us a favor. You are also compelled as the executives of that particular company to make sure that you continue to increase shareholders' value. How do you do that? Either you go out by other companies or you start growing organically. Makwe, mm. I guess the, the other thing uh, that for me is of interest with this particular story, the showing of this business in some of the other non-South Africa SADC markets uh, out in East Africa and also in Nigeria as well. What do you make of that, um, I guess, as a big motivator for this particular interest that uh, the Heineken Group, uh, the um, sort of Dutch-based uh, brewer, has had in Distel? I think it gives them a nice inroad into Africa, you know, as we know that if you look at the distance, their logistics, the way they've streamlined their way, the way they've streamlined the cost effectiveness of distance, and the way they're dominating Africa and not just South Africa, that's a very good way for Heineken to tap into this particular market. We know when it comes to the PR side of things, they come behind ABNBF. So when it comes to the side of business of things, they will continue to dominate that sector of the market. And yes, it's a nice exposure to wines and spirits, mm-hmm. but they won't be a dominant player in that side. But the side part of things, definitely they will. And guys, we know, whether it's just a one or you put it on your head and dance or whatever, but uh, those things mm-hmm. get to be sold. Not where you had to go there. You had to go there. We love the stuff. We love the stuff, of course, but, you know, uh, what it makes us do is not our fault after. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Sure, sure. Makwe, uh, let's take a look at Vodacom. Now, Vodacom put up uh, an update today on the SENS, and um, I want us maybe to to talk about a few things in relation to this. One is the tie-up with the Alibaba Group Holdings, uh, and that is Jack Ma's outfit. And then the other dynamic uh, is, of course, please call me, and uh, and then also aren't the only telecoms player who uh, put out some numbers today. Telcom also did. Uh, Are we seeing similar trends here across the board before we get on to the Jack Ma story? We are trying, but uh, Vodacom continues to lead, you know, mm. and we know other telecommunications, they see this is the way to go. Remember when this company started, they used to make good money out of voice, then voice was getting cheaper, then they started making money out of data, data gets to be regulated, no longer making super profit. So this is another leg, you know, another stream of revenue, financial services. Mm, mm. And, 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 
Then, of course, the Alibaba story, because I guess it's also about going much deeper down that particular vertical of uh, their financial services. They're not only just offering, you know, airtime advances and, and, and that kind of thing, but effectively creating an e-commerce platform that allows people to buy, but also borrow uh, on the platform. You know, if, if you look at the way the likes of Naspas managed to grow, managed to make big money, mm. it's all because of e-commerce and buying other companies. So I think they've got a case there. And especially in a situation where you've got a lot of people where they are unbanked. And even with those who still have good banks, take South Africa itself with the infrastructure that we have, people are now moving away, you know, from the face-to-face interaction. People still prefer now like, to do the likes of e-commerce, you know, banking and stuff like that, sending money. So I think it's there's still growth, yes, in Africa, it's even worse, because those guys have been using that way before we started using the home, land to look, transfer, mining, and my phones. Mm. So, yes, there is a case there, and I think them leading and them also partnering with the likes of all pay, I think they've got a good partner going forward. Mm, mm. And, and uh, Makwe, um, Kosana Makate's story, uh, we also saw, you know, Shamil Jusuf coming out and uh, uh, I guess, uh, you know, one would have expected that they, they would have to respond and field questions around the Please Call Me saga, uh, especially if you're going out to the market to give an update. Uh, what do you make of how they've responded to that? You know what, it's very difficult to understand exactly what the guys are trying to achieve and both parties, to be honest, because mm. this is something that could have been long been sorted out and really a big company like that making good progress, making good money, being last, being the largest. I'm saying we've got over 123 million people that are servicing. We don't want a funny cloud like that, you know, hanging over our head. I think they should just get, you know, over this whole thing and just pay whatever that needs to be paid. Hey, ah, Makwe, this is going to be a tough one here. This is going to be a tough one. Makwe, the Companies Act of 2008, I think when it did come out in 2008, was seen as a very interesting development. Now, uh, the Minister of Trade and Industry, who we're going to be speaking to later on this evening on this show, uh, uh, made reference today in his budget uh, speech, uh, or his budget vote speech, I should rather say, um, around some of the amendments of the Companies Act that are aimed at not only greater disclosure, but even narrowing the gaps between company executives and those who are earning at the bottom end of the income distribution. What do you make of this, Makwe, as somebody, I guess, who works in the markets, who, you know, oftentimes has to read through large remuneration committee reports that justify people (laughs) earning significant amounts of money? I think this is a step in the right direction, and especially the reports that we are reading ourselves. I mean, Ordinarily, if you take a look at the top CEOs of say, top 20 companies on the GSE, you know, when you look at their total remuneration, they average around 20, 23 million because you've got your pay, you've got the other incentives, shares like that. But if you look at the real pay, you know, of ordinary workers, you know, I mean, they average around 12,000. So that gap is just too huge. Yes, there's an argument here that, hey, we're an international company making money offshore, stuff like that. So our pay has to be in uh, in relation to what our counterparts are getting overseas, which is the case uh, anyway. But now the question is, if you try to close that gap, Mm. I don't think you'll be able to close that gap by just having salary increases. We have to find another way. 
to make sure that that gap gets to be closed. And I think maybe the government, before it even moves on that, they should ask themselves that their company, which is Telecom, because they are the only shareholder, here they are, you've got executives earning so much, but they don't want to give their mere mm. workers salary increase that took you 1.5%. Yeah, it's weird, Mark, yeah. where, you know, apparently in the UK, when uh, some of the CEOs there get a lot of uh, scrutiny and pressure for executive pay, they say, well, we have to pay these obscene amounts of money to keep our executive talent here in the United Kingdom, or else they'll go to South Africa. <laughs> because we pay well, but when they say South Africa, they have they have to to, 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 to really uh, qualify that statement. Specific companies based in South Africa, not all yeah, of them, true. that yeah. will be able to match the point that they've been aiming. Yeah. But it's going to be a difficult one, Aya, to be honest. I mean, look at that between the director general and maybe a low earning person in the department. You know, I mean. That the, the, the difference is just so huge. And here they are as a government. They don't want to give those guys a salary increase. So it's kind of conflicting. And But the most important thing here is look at the directors who are founders and owners of those companies. Mm. How do you come and tell me not to pay myself X amount? I'm the director and I'm also the founder and also the owner of that yeah, but Mark, I mean, here in South Africa, uh, one of your biggest investors across the economy are the pension funds of working people, you know, teachers, nurses, and all of these people. Now, I'm always, I guess, quite dumbfounded how little the PIC engages of some of these remuneration committee reports or how few votes where they're like, ah, we're not going to vote for that, um, which is quite surprising. I mean, because in that case, you don't have this big family that owns the business or the big man owning sure. the business but it's actually a pension fund that is a public sector pension fund. Um, and maybe that's where we probably should be also complementing some of the pressure that might come from this uh, act of legislation. But the thing is, if it's not justifiable, if your company is not making profits, here I am, I go, maybe I'm running NASPAS. Look how much NASPAS has made money for the very same pension fund, uh, 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 the pensioners. Look at ShopRite, how much money they've made. Mm. We've just spoke about Vodacom now. If I'm running Vodacom and I'm continuing to print money for you, what are you saying? Yeah, if but you when, our, when you print money, money give, some, give some to that uh, call center operator there, that young lady who's working in your call center, uh, you know, pursuing your leads and making sure that you get nice money as well. You yeah, know? but the question the question is how do you close the gap? We're not saying they must not be paid well. The question here is as much because paying well your call center person does not necessarily mean you don't have to pay well your executive as well. Yeah, but I guess the other dynamic, Mark, to this thing, and we see it. I mean, so many companies uh, will in the same year retrench, but also buy back shares in the same year. So there's now, a lot of question marks there around you know, your capital allocation decision and whether or not it has a ripple impact on inequality in the society. Because what in effect you're doing is you distributing income upwards instead of effectively or, and then taking income away from the bottom end of the distribution in a firm. Oh yeah, that's a valid point. But mm. let's be honest, those are shareholders who start with their money mm. as their company. Whether it's a pension fund, whether it's Mr. Whatever family, because when you do share buybacks, all you are doing is you are making sure that the earnings then will be shared among very few people. So you are increasing shareholders' value. And the real story here is it's my money. I'm putting mm. the money to open that company. And for you, by the way, as Mr. Pension Fund, to come and invest in that company, 
somebody started that company their own sweat, their own risk, mm. and it's up and running, you are happy that that company is doing well, then you come and buy shares in that particular company. So all I'm saying is it needs to be balanced. I'm not saying people must not be paid sure. well. We spoke about it last week when we were talking about salary increases, but our people deserve to get salary increases. Not all these small and things that they'll be getting, but at the same time, be careful because you don't want to discourage people to start companies. You don't want to discourage people to be paid good money so that they can run proper companies. And yes, by all means, people are not getting decent salaries. But the problem here is you cannot narrow that gap by keeping the salary increases of the executives. We have to be more creative. Maybe link that to productivity, stuff like that. We spoke about productivity, remember last week, when those guys were going on strike, then they changed their uh, whatever uh, work conditions. So it's very important. Let's be creative on these things. Give them incentive schemes because some of the salaries that might be huge, mm. but they are linked to some share incentives. And you know, but if they are yeah. right in the right direction. I mean, my mm-hmm. my criticism, Mark, when I and I don't think people must misunderstand it. I'm not saying that, you know, we must go now as as some people have said, uh, and just target people in the private sector or whatever. I think the same scrutiny ought to be extended to our state-owned companies, you know, so that if we are agreeing that we are expropriating the bosses. You know, we're also expropriating some of the bosses in the state-owned companies as well. Uh, because, said, because, because, to be honest, I mean, the pay gaps, even in the state-owned entities, Markwe, yeah, are crazy. I mean, uh, yes, they might not be as bad as what we see in the private sector, but even there in the SOEs, it's not Thank it's not you, pretty, it's not Thank pretty. you. I think that they even have the nerve to say they're not going to give people salary increases, including the government itself. I mean, and maybe uh, the minister can explain that to you when he's talking to you that, here you are, you didn't want to give people a salary increase, but look how much your teachers are earning. So how do you explain that? Uh, because you've got people earning 8,000, 7,000, whatever it is, and you've got probably maybe a PG or whatever, maybe donating or they've got a cross of over two million i'm not too sure but yeah. definitely the difference is just so huge so it has to apply across the board and i think people who are involved in leadership and management they will always tell you that lead by example mm, they do mm. if you are old you know so that the others can fall and we agree it has to be narrowed. Sure. It cannot continue like that. Look at our Gini coefficient, yeah, you know. Bro. We've got a very high inequality society. And imagine so that only measures to be that only measures inequality of income, Mark. Yeah. What happens when you start to measure inequality of assets, both financial and real assets? Then the difference story. Yeah, then we start to play so another well. game, Baba. Ah, then it gets bad. Then it gets bad. Makwe, I always find uh, the story of this retailer quite interesting because uh, they've got a, I wouldn't call it a unique business model, but a very interesting uh, operational and ownership structure, the Spark Group, uh, where effectively vertically integrated, got a distribution model like some of the retailers. But effectively, the people who are running it aren't necessarily franchisees in the traditional sense of the word. Yes. How does that work? Uh, you know, Spar for me is more of a distributor more than anything. Mm. And it's working very well for them because they're able to call it centralize the whole thing. They've got this nice machinery that they've managed to uh, a, a master over a period of years. And here it is paying for them. Unfortunately, uh, some of their overseas expansions are not being as great as they thought, but at least 
are still making money. Mm. I think the biggest problem here for them, if it was not the issue of the alcohol ban, because I guess alcohol contributes anything around 20-23% towards their revenue, that's the only part which didn't do well, continues to struggle, and even the likes of cigarettes. But you look at their core business, the grocery, yes, just a nice old machine. Yes, it might be misleading to some point because if you compare much of this year and much of last year, much of last year, remember you guys were stockpiling because we were worried of COVID, then you had to rush to the store. Mm. And also now when you've got the easing of the lockdowns, people are no longer like eating at home as they used to. Now they can start going out to restaurants. So it's having an impact as well when it comes to the groceries. But those are the kind of stores which are well located. People are happy to go to the neighborhood malls and where you get that's where you get most of the stuff located. Unlike going into the big shopping mall. So yes, it is a module which is working just fine mm, for them. Makwe, mm. we're gonna have to leave it there, brother. As always a pleasure and uh, yeah man, certainly hope you have a, a great week further. Eitara. Makwe Masalela is a chief investment officer and founder at Makwe Fund Managers, helping us uh, with our wrap of the top business stories. 13 minutes it is after 8 p.m. We now go into the world of small and micro enterprise. And uh, this evening, we have uh, the opportunity to speak to Nondo Misosbia as part of our uh, Township and Village Economy series in our SMME exchange, highlighting uh, the moves of uh, micro entrepreneurs uh, in the 